Welcome to the podcast for Healing Neurology, where we talk about everything that can help heal your neurology, which is really everything from food, lifestyle, and medicine to nature, culture, and politics. There is no topic too big or too small. I'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in Ayurveda and functional medicine. And we have one of our own here today. This is uh, her second time being on the podcast for Healing Neurology. It's Miss Maisha Jones. Maisha has spent the entirety of her life examining the interplay between human health and well-being and landscape health and well-being. She was born in a log cabin on an off-grid organic farm in North Central Washington. Since then, holistic healthcare and land stewardship have been major themes interweaving all aspects of her life. She graduated from Port Townsend School of Massage in 2003 and built her practice around healing embodied trauma. She also farmed for 10 years using regenerative agricultural practices to nurse depleted fields back to health. In 2010, she earned her BA from Fairhaven College with an interdisciplinary degree entitled Wellness, which consisted of pre-med and social and environmental justice as preventative healthcare topics. Nutrition and healthy food access were major themes, and she ran the Bellingham Food Bank Farm for years and taught numerous nutrition and cooking classes for marginalized populations. In 2020, she earned her master's in medical anthropology, which is what we'll be talking about today, with a focus on large-scale food systems and policies that support food sovereignty. She has taught human ecology and internal and external ecologies and biological anthropology at Fairhaven College and Western Washington University, respectively. Throughout all of this work, she's also healed numerous chronic health issues of her own. She's deeply passionate about helping clients and students heal while simultaneously understanding their healing is an integral part of increasing the health and well-being of our entire culture and planet. Maisha is a woman of quotes. So, you know, get your pen and paper out because a lot of what she says is just pure gold. And here's one to kind of start us off something she said in the past. My identity has shifted into one who senses instead of one who does. And it's really profoundly lovely. There was this humbling realization that struggle wasn't necessary. I am buoyant. I just float and I am enough. So Maisha, welcome. We're so happy to have you. I love talking to you. Thank you, Jillian. It's quite mutual. Thank you for that <laughs> lovely intro and for all the beautiful and very worthwhile work that you're doing out in the world. Oh, thank you. Well, we've had you at Center for Healing Neurology because health and healing are not just something that we do individually. And that's really what we're going to dive into today. And so with your degree and your interest and your background, not only in medical anthropology, in philosophy, but also in action. This is really your area. So when you and I visit, this is how we jam. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this can be a conversation about maps to being human. Uh, we work in a clinic, a medical clinic. You're also a massage therapist. So kind of very real with your hands on people's bodies in the earth farming. We work in a medical clinic and we practice medicine. We test, we evaluate, we diagnose and we treat. But really, what is health? Let's just start with that question. How do we define health? How do we know if we're healthy? I love starting with these very large, big picture, gestalt approaches, because as you were saying earlier, both of us work with praxis, like hands in the soil, hands with people, with real people, with real diagnoses, with real element, elements within a real context of society, and simultaneously having this bird's eye view of the direction that we're trying to head and what this goal is that we are trying to attain or trying to move toward or work within or dance <laughs> within is also equally important. And I love, I love stepping back a little bit and, and asking that question, like what, what is health? What is well-being? Like when you have a client who is missing very large parts of their body and is, is very ill, like they can still be healthy. 
They're not going like a brand new, fresh car off the factory floor. That is not the definition of health. That's oftentimes where we get stuck in Western culture. This, this idea or fixation on perfection or an absence of a disease or an absence of an ailment. And I love, from an anthropology perspective, looking at health and how it's defined from a pretty wide range of different people around the world. And even our own Western culture, we were discussing a little earlier before the show, we were talking about even in, in English, the word health is derived from, from Old English and Germanic. It means whole. And it's I love thinking about that, thinking that that is actually one of the roots, one of the tap roots of Western medicine is this desire to attain wholeness. And it's not necessarily parsing apart what is wrong with this person's liver and what is wrong with this person's skin and what this ailment is here and completely reducing down a person to you know, this set of symptoms, but looking at them as a complete whole person within the context of a complete whole family, within the context of a complete whole society, within the context of a complete whole planet, they are not separate. And so I love that even in the Western medicine paradigm, that is the root, this this desire for wholeness. And I would love, I would absolutely love to see more Western medical practitioners harken back to that. And I see there is a little bit of a trend. Um, and then I love, I love that there are people like you and the Center for Healing Neurology and people who are looking at holistic health with that as, as the, the object mm-hmm. in mind. So that's, that's kind of where I start. It's this idea of, of wholeness, whatever wholeness is for that person or for that culture. Amazing. That's exactly right. And in fact, that's a lot of the definition of health in Ayurveda. Ayurveda gives a number of different definitions of health, but the one that I've used the last 20 years is by the author Sushrut Samhita is his text. Samhita means text. And he was actually the surgeon, if you can believe that. So here's the surgeon and he has, you know, a well-beloved definition of health. So I can only think of it in Sanskrit. So I'll say that first. And the sutra And sutra is like our English word suture. So it's just the words that kind of sew the idea together. Um, And it's the way to remember it. It's almost like a mnemonic. So the sutra is samadosha, samagnischa, samadhatu, malakriyaha, prasanath, mindriya, minaha, svastya, itya, badiyate. Now, what does that mean? Sama means balance. So samadosha, doshas are the vata, pitta, kapha, the constitutional elements. And so health begins with a balanced constitution. And we're not trying to get all the the vata, pitta, kapha. We're not trying to get all these Ayurvedic energies to be equal. We are born with a unique constitution. And our goal is to stay with our unique constitution through thick and thin, through the ages, across the lifespan, across the natural changes and influences from childhood to student to adult to elder years, as well as across the seasons. So different seasons have different influences. And so our doshas, our constitution is going to get pushed a little to the left, pushed a little to the right. And our goal is to use the tools in our environment to stay rooted in our constitution, our unique constitution that we come with from the moment of our conception, from all the forces acting on us at that moment. So samadosha is the first part of being a healthy person. It means we are aligned with our innate constitution. Samadhisha, Agni is the digestifier. And so sama Agni is essentially balanced digestifier. It means that 
when you think of the fire that cooks the food inside your stomach, your small intestine, this is a fire that's not too hot. It doesn't turn your food to ash and rob you of nutrients, but it's also not too slow and have your food turn to junk. They call it ama. And you can see ama as a coating on the tongue. You can see ama as pain in the joints. Fibromyalgia a lot of times is ama. There's a pressure point um, on the inside and just below the knees that is often tender if ama is present. Ama can be mental confusion. Ama can be physical inability or physical incapacity, the perception of weakness, of deconditioning. There's all these elements that can be associated if your food isn't digesting well. So let's say you eat a bunch of cheese and then your tongue gets all yucky, um, or if your tongue is yucky now, it might be your microbiome, but it also might be that your food isn't digesting very well. So samadosha, samagnisha, samadatu, datus are the seven bodily tissues in Ayurveda. And they go all the way through from plasma to blood to muscle tissue. So rasa is plasma, rakta is blood, mamsa is muscle tissue, meda is adipose tissue or fat tissue, asti, just like osteoporosis, asti is bone, maja is nerve tissue, and then shukra and arthava are the male and female reproductive tissues. And so they get more and more complex as you go down the line. And so health is well-formed bodily tissues. The next part is malakriyaha, which means the appropriate elimination of wastes. And this is daily wastes like sweating, crying, peeing, and pooping. There are those wastes. Um, but there's also the seasonal waste, the seasonal twisting of the liver that happens in the springtime when the winter fat is shed. Um, you have a lot of bitter greens to get the digestion up and going in the spring. So this can be a seasonal, this can be a periodic, or this can be the daily detox. Prasanat Mindriya Manaha is essentially bliss in Atma, the soul, Indriyani, which are the senses, and Manaha, which is the mind. So we should have clarity of perception and joy in the things that we see, the things that we perceive, and in our thoughts. So it doesn't mean that things aren't hard, but it means that we can have perspective around them. And so that's that component of prasanat mindriya manaha. And then the last piece of this long definition that I'm giving is svasya ityabadiyate. So the one who is well situated in self. And the reason that this is so important is that the healthy person feels like they belong in their body, like they belong in their family, they belong in their community, they belong in their life, they belong on the earth. There's a sense of belonging, um, that we are here, that we belong here, that we are in healthy relationship that is elemental to being healthy. So even if your constitution is correct, your digestifier is digesting your food well, your tissues are well formed, you're an Olympic athlete, you're eliminating all of your wastes, you have bliss in the senses, soul and mind, if you feel uncomfortable in your skin, you're not quite there. And this is the definition of health that I apply to every patient who's, who I sit with. And so in my book, if any of these elements is off, then we've got work to do. And sometimes it's small daily work. And sometimes it's big work. And sometimes it's deep work. And sometimes it's very difficult work. But this is really the metric against which when I see patients, I'm measuring them for their health. And so if any of those pieces are off, then we have to figure out how we approach, which will be the second part of this show today. But that is the definition. One great, well-beloved, often used definition of health in Ayurveda. So it's all of those components. It's the body, mind, and spirit. I love that so much. <laughs> this is a, a wonderful, really, really beautiful and multi-tiered definition. And also, I feel a really useful way 
to even ask ourselves, like do our own inventory and see where we are in our own path on, on our own journeys and in our own acquisition of health and well-being and wholeness. That last piece in particular of being situated well, the relational component of feeling like we belong and having a sense of, of purpose and meaning in life. I think that is one of the key elements that often I have seen missing in people who are very, very ill. It's those, mm-hmm. those relational pieces are missing, whether it be, can use so many different metaphors to discuss this, like whether it's intergenerational trauma or whether it's epigenetic disease or in Buddhist tradition, hungry ghosts of unmourned for unquiet ancestors. There are so many different ways to discuss that relational component. And it reminds me of a teacher of mine, old teacher, Martin Prechtel, who lived with the Tutsihil Mayan in Guatemala for many, many, many years, and he's native himself. And he was talking about intactness. And that was how the healers in that tradition would discuss a person's well-being, whether they were intact or not. And this was during a, a really heavy and really bloody period of, of violence and civil war. And a lot of people were losing limbs through landmines and just horrific events, but they could still be intact, even with both legs missing. They could mm-hmm. still be a wonderful grandmother or grandfather or a wonderful mm-hmm. parent or child. They could still be wisdom keepers. They could still be storytellers. They could still be master weavers. They could still be seed carriers. They could still have a sense of purpose and belonging and usefulness and beauty in the world. Like they were contributing to something greater than themselves and they belonged to something greater than themselves. And I, I love that concept of our health and well-being interlacing with all of those around us as well. And not just from a strictly Cartesian um, reductionist standpoint of like, are all of your limbs intact? Are all of your organs functioning properly? Are all of your neurochemistry profiles looking good? Like beyond that, <laughs> much, much farther beyond that. And it shows up in a lot of cultures, actually, that that relational piece with mm-hmm. both the seen and the unseen worlds. Like there could be unfinished business, you know, several generations back. And if that unfinished business has not been attended to, whether it be an untimely death or whether it be strife in the family or abuse or violence, like that can have these ripples that trickle down the generations, whether they're told in overt stories or whether they just show up in higher cortisol levels or whether they show up in just a feeling of unwellness and unwholeness and disbelonging. And attending to those things is oftentimes what the healers will focus on. Perhaps there is something that's presenting in the flesh that is amiss, but the underlying factors are oftentimes attended to. Yeah, I really love that entire definition, but particularly that last piece, because that's something that often is missing in Western medicine. I love that that's a component. It is so amazing to hear you talk about all that, um, because I do think that our view of the collective is something that often carries us through. So if we do think about a one our, our unique particular ailment, if we put it within the power, if it stands on the power of a community, any community, if it stands on the power of a community that it supports us, we can take strength from that community. And the earth is always here, right? So even if we don't have people as a community, we can still have places, we can still have ecology. We always have an ecology. We ourselves are an ecology. We know that, you know, all the talk about the microbiome, we are an ecology, and then we are the ecology for our larger environment. I love stemming from that. Also, the earth and our community holds us 
but then also the desire to be able to to give something of beauty and worth to our community and to our environment is oftentimes an impetus for healing. So many people say, you know, if I don't have someone to show up for, I have a really hard time, you know, adhering to my diet or taking my meds or exercising or doing these things. And I, I feel that that is actually a very beautiful and inborn part of being human. So we are, we're a pack animal and we have this desire to be useful and to be a part of something. And that oftentimes can buoy us as well as give us a reason to heal and a reason to become whole. Sebastian Younger, who wrote uh, The Perfect Storm, also wrote a book called Tribe on homecoming and belonging. And at the end of the introduction, he just pins it exactly as you're saying it. He talks about tribe and he talks about this book is about why that sentiment is such a rare and precious thing in modern society and how the lack of it has affected us all. It's about what we can learn from tribal societies about loyalty and belonging and the eternal human quest for meaning. It's about why for so many people, war feels better than peace and hardship can turn out to be a great blessing and disasters are sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. Humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. Mm. And it's time for that to end. So as we talk about health, as we talk about how we have been raised to be healthy over hundreds and thousands of generations, over generations and generations and generations, I don't know if we've been a hundred, hundreds of thousands of generations, but over all this time, our sense of belonging is, we can't pull it apart. It's linked. It's linked to our core about our safety. And so part of our health has to be finding safety. And as we look around us um, at our culture and our society right now, we see so much inequity. You know, we are in a period right now of killing after killing after killing, police committing acts of murder. And so we need to figure out how we find each other again. And that's part of our health. That's part of our health and our healing. Very much so. I actually have an, an image when I think of, of myself within the context of society. And I think of myself as a cell, as one single cell. And I'm part of a much, much, much larger tissue organ organism. And when I think of myself engaging with other humans, I think of myself engaging with other cells of the same organism. Like we are all part of the same fabric, the same tissue, the same living entity, which is society. And on a larger scale, which is this planet. And I love when I'm feeling really centered and really grounded and very whole myself, I almost feel as though my beginning and ending and the beginning of ending of others is a little bit blurred mm -hmm. because we're all acting in tandem. We're all acting at the same time to create and co-create this experience of, of being human in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though when people are separated from that whole in their minds mm -hmm. or in their experiences and that sense of alienation or that sense of not being the same as other humans, that's when disease takes place. Disease like murders, disease like I'm actually starting to think of police killings as an autoimmune disorder itself. These are the killer T cells, which are supposed to be serving and protecting the whole. Mm -hmm. And in, for a variety of reasons, there's an inflammation and mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. that entity is starting to attack self. And, and it's a mistake. It's an erroneous perception. It's a, 
it's a big problem. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an autoimmune disorder. Like it kills the organism eventually. And the way we treat it in the body is often with immune suppressants, which would kind of be like defunding the police. <laughs> Taking the metaphors too far can be can be tricky, but even that, I'm like, oh, immune suppressants, when someone has an autoimmune disorder, in my mind, I would want to go a few steps deeper. It's like, why is the body attacking itself right. in the first right. place? Right. What yeah. is that primary disorder? What is that primary fear or alienation or sense of unworthiness or lack? Like what something, something is deeply amiss in a body that has an autoimmune disorder. And I, I'm, I myself have an autoimmune disorder and have spent a lot of time addressing that. And I see that in society again and again. It's like, oh, that's an inflammation disorder right there. Oh, there's another one. Like I am just a cell. I'm part of this tissue. Can I keep myself from getting inflamed? Mm -hmm. Perhaps that's the best use I can offer right now in this moment is just not letting myself get inflamed. Mm -hmm. Keeping a clear mind, keeping a steady body, keeping mm -hmm. a solid nervous system. And hopefully those I come in contact, those other little cells around me that I come in contact can notch down their nervous systems and clear their minds a little tiny bit. But I really love, I love thinking of myself as a cell what many, many, many cells. I am not the end organism. <laughs> I am a very small part <laughs> of something much, much larger than myself. And one can start talking about God or Gaia or, you know, there are many, many ways to name this experience. But I really feel that that is a helpful way to feel whole and to feel like we are part of a whole as well. So the pandemic has been really interesting because in some ways we've been globally connected against one you know, bound together against one common enemy of this coronavirus, COVID-19. But on the other hand, it's like we've been forced to um, conduct this collective fight in isolation. That's the requirement of the battle. And we have seen a blooming of mental health issues, of domestic violence, of poverty. And obviously some of that is the economic climate around staying home or not going, you know, restaurants shutting down, businesses shutting down. But part of that, I think, is that when we sit in our own mind, we only see reflections of ourselves and we get more and more and more isolated um, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We forget that there's a world out there. So moving back into a stream of people, moving back into being a part of this larger flow is one of the things that's really neuroprotective for us. And finding ways to stay connected can be part of engaging a health program. Very much so. Very much so. Luckily, there are so many ways to stay engaged. And, you know, if, if a person likes being around other humans and <laughs> are nourished by that, you know, there's so many ways to volunteer and be engaged in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And especially right now, as people are starting to go out and people are getting vaccinated or people are starting to become a little bit more safe in, in interacting with other people. I know quite a few folks are actually kind of getting a little overwhelmed because they haven't been around people for a really yeah. long time. Yeah. And they're just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot to feel all of a sudden. So there's so many other ways. They're like stream cleanups. <laughs> like just had an island-wide trash pickup yesterday, public land stewardships. I mean, there's so many ways 
to feel that sense of, of belonging and engagement that don't necessarily have to be around a bunch of people. So like, be gentle. I'm really encouraging <laughs> people to be gentle. There's a lot of excitement. It's like, oh my gosh, we get to be around people again. How great. And then people are like, whoa, whoa, this is, this is intense. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> But yes, I love I love the neuroprotection of being a part of, of society and being a part of people. And so what does this process of healing look like? How would you define healing? What does that entail? Oh, that's a good question. From a very broad standpoint, it's whatever aspect of a person's being is most weakened or most vulnerable, it's strengthening that aspect. And like all of the ones that you mentioned earlier, start from whichever one of those facets is creating the most discomfort. I think you told me before, um, Dr. Ladd would say, this: the ailment is actually a gift in a way because it brings a person to the healer. It brings a person to seek health because they're, they're uncomfortable. It's like whatever it is that's uncomfortable in their life, whether it's psychological or physiological or spiritual, like there's a discomfort. They can't stand it anymore. They're going to do something about it. So that's the entry point. And I feel like just following that, like, so many, so many of our health puzzles are like Gordian knots. Mm -hmm. There's so many different elements engaged, but whichever piece is presenting as like the most obvious one, like start there, like that thread will take you in. Yes. Dr. Let says always thank the pain that brings the patient. <laughs> and so what we're talking about is health and healing is transformational work. And once we've healed, do we go back to being the same person we used to be? <laughs> I would hazard to say rarely. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the point of it. There's so many mystics that say that your heart has to break for it to be able to open. Mm. And I feel oftentimes ailments can be like that. They create this entry point of empathy because we all have bodies. We all have bodies that will fail. They will fail and they will die and they will turn to dust. We all have that in common. And having an experience of ailment and discomfort it can bring us closer to everyone else on the planet. And not just everyone. I, I use everyone broadly, like every sentient being, every plant, every animal, every human, because we all have failable bodies that will indeed fail no matter what. How do we do this in our life? What do we do across our lifespan to pay attention to healing? And how do we pay attention to health, like our whole health? How, do we, how can we think about it? I almost feel like this would there'd be um, an element of, of hubris if I were to make a statement for everyone. <laughs> so I'm tempted just to speak for myself. But for me, seeking health is, is a way for me to do what I feel my calling is in the world better. And so whether that be breaking a leg and then healing it enough so that I can still stand and do massage, I can still farm and garden and teach people how to engage with, with the earth in a way that's mutually beneficial. Like that's, that's healing for me. It's because that goal, that purpose, and that drive that I have in the world can be continued. And if an ailment creates some sort of major interruption of those activities to maintain that wholeness for me, that, that meanness, I feel like that is my spark and that is my purpose. I need to find another way to heal so that I can continue that work. And oftentimes the work actually deepens after an ailment, after a loss, after a tragedy. I lose things to be sure, but the process of regaining wholeness, 
I get so many more tools and I gain so much more empathy for others and I gain so much more depth and capacity for the work that I'm doing that in the end, the ailment actually wasn't a detriment. Like there are certain things my body can't do anymore that it used to when I was younger and before injuries and before ailments. But there are certain things that my mind and heart can do that were not possible prior to those. So for me, that's that's healing. It's coming back to that wholeness and actually deepening the wholeness, using that experience of, of illness to actually further my depth and who I am. And we do have, you know, uh, across the span, across our lifespan, we may be moving towards degeneration and regeneration in multiple directions and at the same time. So it may be that one piece is getting foggy when another piece is getting clear. So it's a constant flux because there's so many environmental influences on us in every moment. That's why that Ayurvedic definition, that Ayurvedic map can be so helpful so that each day or each week as part of a daily routine, a person can kind of run through, is my constitution balanced? What do I need to eat to attend to my current digestive fire? Are my tissues well formed? What do I need to do? Do I need to exercise? Do I need to rest? Do I need to stretch? Do I need to do weights? Do I need to swim? What is the way, do I need to sleep more? What is the way I need to live in order to form my tissues better? How do I eliminate my waste? Are they fully eliminating? Do I need to work on a seasonal cleanse or just, you know, passing well-formed daily stools? Am I drinking enough water? Am I staying hydrated? And then the mental piece is figuring, are you finding joy in what you see and what you smell, what you feel, what you taste, what you touch, what you see? I do see already. So there's all these ways that we can look at if we don't have bliss in our mind, if we don't have clarity, what is interrupting our clarity? And is it old memories? Um, There's ways that we take old memories that then can get in the way of our current perceptions. And again, do we feel like we belong? Are we standing on our lineage? And are we paying attention to our legacy? And it's this piece, there's every once in a while, I return to that idea that, you know, at some point in the future, my name will pass from the last person's lips and my name will never be spoken again. Like I will become when you, you know, how many people can you name who lived a thousand years ago? You know, how many people were there in the world and how many people can you name? None of those people felt like they were irrelevant. I would guess, I would venture to guess, just like none of us feel like we are irrelevant. Or if we do feel like we're irrelevant, then that's mental ama. You know, we are very relevant because we are the person who is here right now. We are standing on our lineage. We are considering our legacy. And so even though there is that future time from which my name will no longer ever drop from another person's lips, no one will have thoughts of me at some point in the future. I just go back to the ocean of consciousness. I go back to the sands of time. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that I want to make the work that I do here now beneficial for those who come after me. So healing can be in many different ways. Healing can be in all of these physical ways, in all of these mental ways, in all of these spiritual ways. And this all has to be attended to as we provide medical care. You are taking this into account. It, it brings so much joy into my heart, Aww. just knowing that that people within the Western medical system are able to have this type of bandwidth and vantage point. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's part of why we need to operate outside of the insurance system is because it takes time to review this. It takes time to understand it. It takes time to explain treatments. It takes time to listen. And the tools that we use are not necessarily always covered by insurance or recognized by insurance. 
hyperbaric oxygen, the VASPR, you know, stem cell therapies, a lot of the things that we use, even though these are Western, you know, this is not meditation or breath work. And even that is sometimes covered and sometimes not. And we do use those as well. But even these scientific treatments that we're using are not always covered. So it's going to take some time. And that's part of what the work that we're trying to do is to get medicine caught up to how we practice. And there's many of us out there. There's, you know, it's not just Center for Healing Neurology. Even the VA, even the Veterans Administration has a whole healthy person initiative that it is defining health differently. It's defining health holistically and working with soldiers and vets in order to find, as you know, they have a similar map to the Ayurvedic description that I gave, but it's a type of map that they're using as a once yearly checkup um, with vets to evaluate where do they stand and what do they need. And they're getting, the outcomes are fantastic. Awesome. It's an exciting time to be in the healthcare world because I do feel like there are so many threads being woven together that have been disparate for such a long time. Yep. Absolutely. Very exciting. I love what you do so much. Thank you. I love what you do. <laughs> I've, I've created an enormous amount of topsoil. That would be my <laughs> legacy. When my name is gone, which won't be all that long from now, there will that be was... a lot of topsoil left behind. And a lot of, a lot of people will have been kinder to each other because they're not in pain. And that's enough. Yep. That's what we do. Well, thank you, Meisha, for joining us today and talking about how do we define health? How do we define healing? How do we find our um, and thank you, everybody in the audience for listening with Mesha Indigo Jones. We've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get more information from and about us at our website, centerforhealingneurology.com, or even better, come see us in person in our Seattle-based clinic. Please be sure to share this show with your friends, and we welcome your rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to send topic requests to podcast at centerforhealingneurology.com. We love that you've joined us today to discuss how to make our whole world medicine. We rise or fall together and we are committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.